Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by co-site experts Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Everybody, welcome to another episode of our podcast. I'm Lucas. I got Chris here. No Uriah. Uriah was lucky enough to actually go see the Sixers game tonight. Of course, we are recording right after the Sixers home game against the Knicks, where the Sixers pulled out a 123-108 victory. Chris... Your initial thoughts on the game? Yeah, I mean, obviously for the Sixers, there were three standout players, I would say, and they're the three that we have come to expect. Joel had 27 points and 12 rebounds. Tyrese Maxey had 25 tonight. James Harden had 26, 9-9 and in his home debut. Um, You know, a playoff-level atmosphere, I would say. A really packed crowd. Um, Again, Harden seems to be having a lot of fun out there. Maxi seems to be having a lot of fun out there. That like three-headed monster has been really efficient and really productive in three straight games now. Um, obviously, two of those games were against the Knicks. The Knicks are not a very good basketball team this season, but a lot of positives to take away from this one. New York was ahead at halftime, had a really strong first half, but Philly kind of turned it on in the third quarter and didn't look back. Maxi's fourth quarter was huge. Tobias had a really strong second half after another pretty silent first half. Um, Joel really had a bit of a rough go of things in the first half. He turned it around in the second half. And once those guys were kind of hitting on all cylinders, New York didn't stand much of a chance. You were talking a little bit before we came on about RJ Barrett. He's looked really good lately. He had 30 in this game, put together another really strong effort. Julius Randle had a much better game this time around, but Sixers won by double digits again. James Harden, a rebound and an assist shy of another triple-double. So just really strong stuff from Philly when they were playing well. What were some of your takeaways? Let me just say this. I think R.J. Barrett's actually going to end up living up to the the hype of being the third overall pick from that draft with Zion and John Morant, I, he's had a strong January. He's, he had a strong February. He's continuing that now. March, um, 
from the Knicks' perspective, they just they need more scoring. They don't have enough scoring power. Evan Fournier was one of eight. He really kind of topped off. I mean, I I think Cam Reddish can do more, but it's clear that Tom Thibodeau does not trust him, and Emmanuel quickly is just not getting enough burn either. Um, now going to the Sixers' perspective, I think this is probably. I mean, yeah, the first half was rough. But you look at the second half, and I think this is exactly what the Sixers should be looking like on offense. Uh, I talked to, with you a little bit about it on before the game. If you look at shot selection, it pretty much lines up of how me and you both believe the hierarchy on offense should go uh, according to the starting five. Joel Embiid have, had 15 shots. James Harden had 13. Tyrese Maxey had 12. Tobias Harris had 10. Vice Harris had 14 points tonight, by the way, Chris. Seven rebounds, two blocks. I think this is the best. Uh, it's fair to say in, you know, Harden's short tenure, this is the best Tobias game. He was aggressive. He was hitting his shots, which I think is very important. And if you can get 14 to, you know, 18 points a game from Tobias, I mean, that's as your fourth option on offense. I think that's a win here, Chris. But that's yeah. just uh, that my my thoughts from the starting five. Did you want to add anything else about the starting five? Yeah, no, I agree with you about Tobias. This was easily his best game so far next to Harden. Still kind of had some Tobias moments, but five of mm-hmm. ten from the field, two of three from deep. Played solid defense. He got into some foul trouble, admittedly, I think on some pretty questionable calls. But overall, I thought he had a much better game tonight. He looked much more comfortable out there. And... Like, again, Maxi just looks really good. And I, we, you know, any concerns that were had about his relationships with James Harden are like out the window. Clearly, he's benefiting from that partnership. And like, this is a guy that looks more and more special by the day. Like, he's putting up 20 plus points in these games with really superb efficiency. He had zero turnovers in this game. I mean, like, that's just really impressive stuff from a 21-year-old. And, like, J.J. Reddick said on the broadcast, not many 21-year-olds could be, like, a credible third option on a championship team. We're going to talk about that later in the podcast. But Maxie's doing some really impressive stuff right now. So hopefully he keeps it up. Especially considering he was the 21st pick in that draft. Uh, Clearly he should have gone higher. But I guess if we're transitioning to the bench now, um, I guess the bright spot here would have to be Shake Milton, six points in about 20 minutes. Um, Chris, he really uh, kind of, I, I, I would say he probably, him and George's Niang were the main difference makers coming off the bench. And uh, he definitely made the case of that he should be playing over Cork on Corkmaz, which I'm sure we'll talk about more later on. Um, it was interesting, small uh, change here. Before the game, Doc Rivers had, you know, made it seem like he was going to be playing uh, Willie Cauley-Stein as the primary backup to Joel Embiid tonight. Chris, Willie Cauley-Stein came in with a minute and 15 seconds left in the game. It was another Paul Millsap game, and it was, yet again, pretty horrendous uh, showing uh, that his first uh, first half minutes were definitely part of the game where the uh, Net- Knicks went on a run here. And... The the bench is just not looking great, Chris. And like I said, we'll talk about him more. But I I would say Shake Milton and George's Niang were the two bright spots. Danny Green was okay, but George's Niang and Shake Milton for sure. Yeah, I agree with you. And 
you know, Paul Millsap might not be the uh, backup center for much longer here, which is what kind of leads into our next topic. And we're going to go ahead and just change out one, you know, washed up, you know, big man for another washed up big man, according to Adrian Wojnarowski uh, of ESPN. Uh, Woj uh, reported that the Sixers are expected to pursue DeAndre Jordan either via buyout or uh, claim on the waiver wire. I believe, if I remember correctly, the Sixers are 24th on the waiver wire. So either he's going to clear waivers and probably sign with the team or he's going to be they're going to put put in a claim. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was saying. Yes. Um, Jordan, of course, former, uh, I think he was a three-time All-Star, two-time, to, you know, um, all-defensive player. One-time Pretty All-Star. One-time All-Star. Sorry, my All-NBA. One-time All-Star, correct. which is weird. You are, you are correct. Sorry, I got my, my, uh, my honors uh, mixed up on that. But, yeah, Jordan in his heyday was pretty good, Chris. But, um... Jordan, as of late, has yeah. been uh, has been pretty horrendous in his stops, stops with the Brooklyn Nets and the uh, now the you know L.A. Lakers. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I mean, I wrote about it. I know. I, I think we and you were on the same page. Like, there's he mm-hmm. really should not be on the Sixers. Um, it's pretty clear that it's going to be happening. Like, I have it's a Doc Rivers. It's a Doc Rivers signing. Frank Vogel has literally already said basically that Jordan's going to Philly. So like, it's about as official as it's going to get without being official. It's happening. It might have happened officially by the time this pod comes out, who knows? But um, yeah, look, like you said, this feels pretty transparently like doc rivers asking for another veteran center, which they don't really need. Even if you're not happy with Paul Millsap, which they shouldn't be, even if you're not, thrilled with what you've seen from Willie Colley Stein in practice because you haven't used him in the game for whatever reason. You still have Paul Reed and Charles Bassey, who are two capable young players with, I would say, reasonably bright futures as backup bigs, possibly. And DeAndre Jordan is not better than Paul Millsap or Willie Colley Stein. If I had to like put he's money on bigger. He, he, he He's bigger than Paul Millsap. That's the only thing that he really has. Yeah, Paul Millsap's probably a he but Paul Millsaps, yeah, and Rebounding, Paul Millsaps like, can shoot better. That's yeah. about it. Like I, I'd, I'd stick with Millsap over Jordan if those two. Yeah, are on the I, team. I think I would do. Like that's how bad it is because like Millsap is in pretty putrid for three games now. Um, like you said, former All Star, but he got benched in Brooklyn. He's pretty much got benched in L.A. and then they cut him for D.J. Augustine, who's a year older and who's five eleven. So. That's a Lakers team that's been like playing LeBron at center for long stretches this year. To be fair, DJ Augustine was having a solid season with the Houston Rockets. It's not like he's a bad player, but I get what you're saying. Yeah, point is, Jordan's not good enough to play real minutes for a good team right now. I I think that's safe to assume. Obviously, he played. Are the Lakers a good team right now? Or are the Lakers a good team right now? Is he even good enough to play minutes for a bad team? Yeah, the only reason he got to the Lakers is because the Nets didn't want him. And Lord knows the Nets have needed size. <laughs> so, um, yeah, look, played best basketball of his career under Doc Rivers. I don't think that matters much. The only concern is, is that like Doc is probably going to play him somewhat religiously, despite the fact that he's not very good. And you're boxing yourself out of Paul Reed and Charles Bassey opportunities. And in the playoffs, DeAndre Jordan is going to get played off the floor. 
every single time he touches it. So it could be somewhat problematic. Um, like again, like you said tonight with the Millsap minutes, that was the only stretch of the game where Philly really just got like, you know, the doors blown off. And that was with James Harden running that unit. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to get much better with DeAndre Jordan rebounding. I get it. They need more rebounding, but. And he can be a lob threat on offense, I guess, which yeah. helps. But like, so can Bassey, so can Reed. I agree. I agree. So can Willie Cauley-Stein, but we haven't seen him, so. Yeah. Um, I'm not happy that this is happening, basically. I, I'm not happy. Yeah. I was the one that tweeted on the website, on the team's Twitter page. Um, how about no from, you know, Austin Powers? That that was me. That's how I feel about this. Yeah. Um, Chris, uh, in response to this move, who should be the odd man out? Should it be Willie Cauley-Stein or should it be uh, Paul Millsap? Um, I, I mean, I mean, obviously the easy one is Cauley-Stein because he's just not on a regular contract. Um, if I had to guess, it's probably going to be Cauley-Stein because they signed him to a 10-day and then just didn't use him, which probably says something about how Doc Rivers feels about Willie Cauley-Stein. Um and clearly, they like Millsap enough to make him the number two or three center, depending on where Jordan stands. So, I have a feeling he's going to be Collie Stein. Should it be Millsap? I think there's a credible argument there. I, I'm not quite as high on Collie Stein as you are. I'd, I'd be okay keeping Millsap as like the third, fourth, fifth center, but um, they shouldn't have five centers in general. I'd really rather use this spot on a wing be it Charlie Brown Jr. getting like a regular contract or some other free agent. They really don't need another big man, but if it's going to happen, I have to assume it's Willie Cauley-Stein, which is mm-hmm. really I, I probably not great because Cauley-Stein, I imagine, is maybe more interesting and maybe better than DeAndre Jordan, but it's fine, I guess. Yeah, I, I agree that I think we don't need five centers. Um I hope that it's Millsap, but I think you're right. It's probably going to be Willie Cauley-Stein. While, uh, while you were saying that, uh, it made me think. Do you think DeAndre Jordan was the actual center that uh, Daryl Morey was hinting to in that uh, radio interview? I think he is, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems like a bigger name who's an actual like waiver-slash-buyout candidate. Um, clearly, I mean, Frank Vogel is, again... Sid Jordan's going to the Sixers, so there's a good chance this has kind of been in the works. It's clear if he's going to Philly to seek a bigger opportunity, they've probably had discussions about it, you know, wink, wink, under the table. So um, I I would not be surprised if that's who Daryl Moore was talking about. It kind of sucks. Like, I don't think this is a Daryl Moore move. This is definitely a Doc Rivers move. Um, but, you know... We'll yeah, I, I think, well, to be fair to Doc Rivers, I think everything that Maury has put him through this season, I, I think he kind of owes, you know, Doc Rivers, you know, this level of, you know, this, this type of move. I think after everything that Doc Rivers went through with, you know, the Ben Simmons, you know, fiasco and the lack of point guard depth in general, he, he needs to, he, you know, certainly should throw him a bone here. All right, we're going to talk about the Sixers' third option now. Through three games with Harden, Lucas, it's been pretty definitively Tyrese Maxey. I know you and I have kind of been banging that drum since 
the trade was announced before we even saw him on the court. We were like bang, banging this drum for most of the season, dude. Yeah, look, our site rankings, Maxi was the number three guy. He got most of the votes there. So this has kind of been a long time coming. But for most of the season, Harris was the number two scorer on this team, Lucas. Do you think there's any chance that he's going to rebound to get back to that point where he's the quote-unquote number three option, or is this Maxie's, Maxie's team in that sense? I I don't know, Chris. That's a hard one. Um, do I think you know Tobias Harris will end up being more efficient and score more points than he did in the first two games? Uh, probably, and he'll probably end up scoring more than 14 points per game most nights as he gets more comfortable playing with James Harden and understanding his role within the offense, which I think Kendrick Perkins of ESPN did a good job of describing what it should be is he should be able, he should be allowed to be the second option in that second unit Uh, because it looks like him and James Harden are kind of paired in that second unit right now, which is, I think is good idea. So I think allowing Tobias to be that second scoring option in the second, you know, I think that makes sense. And that's where I think he's going to get most of his, you know, money. Otherwise, he needs to start running out and transition more often, too. Kind of seems to be lagging behind a little bit, which was not the case earlier on in his career. But will, should he should he be the third option? My answer is no. I, I think he'll get better, but I don't think he should be the third option. You you know me. I've been saying this since uh, to buy, uh, Tyrese Maxey had that 10-game stretch without Joel Embiid in the lineup. The Tyrese Maxey... Uh, until James Harden was traded, was the second best player on this team, and now he's the third best player. And now that he doesn't have to worry about running the offense, Chris, he is—he's being unleashed in ways that I don't think we were ready to see in his second season. As I—I I think that's fair to say. He's playing yeah. with a dynamic playmaker, and he's Chris. If he produces at this level for the rest of this season, I mean, I think. Expecting the Sixers to have three All Stars next season, going into next season, is not an outrageous thought to have. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, look, Maxie's more decisive. He's been hitting more of his threes, frankly, than Tobias this season, which was would have been the big differentiator last year. Um, like, like Tobias, his whole thing is that he's just not quick enough with his decisions. He dribbles too much. They're in just even in this game where he played, and Max is faster. Yeah, look, Maxie's getting a lot of this transition opportunities off of Harden's passes. He's making quick drives to the rim or hitting those spot-up threes. Tobias is still way too often, like, just kind of dribbling into no-man's land or posting up and or trying to take over possessions for himself, and that's just not a good way to use the offense. So I do agree, like, Harris is going to probably get better production-wise down the stretch. He's going to get more comfortable. He's still, talent-wise, pretty darn good for, like, a number four guy. But there are real concerns with his fit. You know, the reporting from Brian Windhorst at ESPN today says, like, a lot of league executives think the Sixers are going to try to dump him in the offseason. I think that's the right move. You can try to, like, clear up cap space, get another big player, or get a couple really solid role players who do their jobs really well. And, you know, at some point you have to kind of clear the lane here because in a couple of years you've got to extend Tyrese Maxey. You've got to extend uh, Matisse Thibel this offseason, Chris. Yeah, so I, I don't think Tobias, hopefully, 
I mean, I don't want to be mean. Like, hopefully he's gone. But I, I think the summer is probably the best time to move on from him if you can. You know, call up OKC, Detroit, those teams with cap space, and, and try to dump him. Um, but, yeah, I, I think Tyrese is the number three player on this team right now. I don't expect him to average, like, over 25 a game for this whole upcoming stretch. But I do expect him to continue to look really, really good. He broke out the hardened step back tonight. So both him and Joe. A couple are... times, Chris. Not just once, yeah. like two or three times. And then he had that turnaround, uh, you know, bailout three against RJ Hampton. Not RJ Hampton, RJ Barrett. That looked so natural. Like it, it looked effortless. The yeah. three point shot, Chris, we have to think about it. He was a 30% three point shooter last season. He's at 40% this year. And I don't think it's a fluke. I don't think it's a one and done thing. No. So what we know is that Maxie is one of the hardest working people on planet Earth. And what we also know is that he's always had really soft touch, like his floater going back to college, those short range jumpers. He's always been money. And that's normally a pretty good indicator of guys being able to extend their range. It's why with Thibault, you guys are like, oh, if he can just become like a 38 percent. Thibault has zero touch. He just doesn't have the mechanics, and he doesn't have the touch. So, frankly, I don't buy, like, this sudden transformation from Thibault. Whereas with Maxi, I don't think anyone saw him shooting 40% in year two on the volume that he's shooting. But it made sense to be like, this guy's going to be fine long term. Like, he has the touch. He's willing to work on it. He knows he needs to add it. So I, I think that's that's always been the important indicator with him, is he has, like, feather soft touch. And that's we're just seeing it come along more quickly than we thought it would. I, I think so. That's for sure. I'm a little awestruck right now because I'm just like, Chris, there. I, I think it's fair to say that this is this a big three now, Chris, or are we still on a big two with Maxi up and coming? I I mean. I think it's fair to say it's a big three. Obviously, Maxie's Maxie's not going to be on the level of Harden and B. Those are two like MVP type guys when they're on, you know on their game. But so we're saying that Maxie's an All Star level player right now. Is that what we're saying? Because a big three means you have three All Star level players. I mean, he's certainly playing like it through three games. Again, like I don't know if I'd put money on Maxi making the All Star game next season, but he certainly has the talent and ability to do it. We'll see what happens over the next month or so of the regular season. Again, I, I at some point he's probably going to come back down to earth to some degree, but he's certainly the number three guy on this team, and he's certainly capable of giving you twenty, twenty-five, thirty points on a given night. So. Yeah, I, I think it's fair to call them a big three. Joel and James are obviously carrying the lion's share of the work there, but Maxi looks really good right now. So I think that's a fair a fair um, way to call it. But yeah, going back to your Tobias Harris point, I am on board with you all the way. If they can move him in the offseason, get some quality depth back, getting starting level power forward and, and probably a solid backup center. I think the Sixers will be golden then. And um, so that's that's what I think they need to be doing, trying to focus on that with that, you know, trying to flip him wise. Uh, OKC is going to be a little bit tricky because that Shig uh, Alexander, uh, Alexander Walker uh, extension is going to be kicking in. So they're not going to have as much cap space as they usually do. I think they're going to still be under the cap, but not by much. 
So taking on Tobias would be tricky then. And then on top of that, you still have um, I, there's only like two or three teams that's going to have cap space. Detroit's one of them. Um, I think Portland's going to be one of them now, but I don't really see Portland going after Tobias. I mean, maybe they don't, but I mean, Justice Winslow, I mean, he's injured right now, but he's playing actually really good for them um, at the power forward spot. So I don't, I don't know what's going to happen with Tobias. I would love to trade him this offseason, but I would tell you this. If you want to trade him for a third star, if they ask for Tyrese Maxey, you say no. I, 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 I'm going to say it. It's a hot take. Tyrese Maxey, pretty much untradeable at this point. Yeah, I, I, I honestly believe that. Even if yeah. they, if you can go for Bradley Beal, if they ask for Tyrese Maxey, I, I, I would not do Beal for Maxey right now. I think Maxey's ceiling is pretty close to what Beal is right now. So yeah. That's my thoughts. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, obviously, it depends on the star if you get to the really, really good players. But I, I, I wouldn't agree. do for Damian Lillard. I wouldn't do for Dame. Yeah, and I wouldn't do for that. That's like a tricky one because you know Dame's thirty three, dude. He's older than Harden. I I know, but like Dame Lillard, James Harden, and Joel Embiid for a season puts you in a pretty good spot. You know what I mean? But Tyrese Maxey is still pretty darn good too. I just I, I think Maxey keeps your window open longer. I certainly agree with that. Um like thinking long term, it's really nice to have Maxey playing like this. Um just looking down the road. So I I mean like I agree. You're not trying to trade to Tyrese Maxey. There's a very limited number of players who you even consider dealing him for. Um but, yeah, I mean, look, this is going to be a really good team. We'll see what happens here. They got some better teams coming up on the schedule. Obviously, that Brooklyn game on March 10th is going to be a lot of fun, hopefully. Ben's not playing. Ben's not going to play. I'm he's not. Well, I, no, the, like we know he's not. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. And uh, we're gonna last subject that we're going to touch on in this podcast here is concerns in the second unit, Chris. What's wrong with the second unit right now? Um, well, one is Paul Millsap. And two okay. is the fact that they just have zero athleticism right now. Um, that is somewhat off-put by the fact that they have James Harden and Tobias Harris playing with the second unit quite frequently. But those lineups where it's just James, Danny, George, Paul, and Furkan, they're just not guarding anyone. You know what I mean? So... You need more athleticism in that group. One great way to do it would be Paul Reed or Charles Bassey in the middle, but it doesn't seem like we're going to get that. I don't think DeAndre Jordan, though he is bigger and he might block a few shots every now and then, I don't think Jordan's going to help that much. He's not moving around in space, you know. So, um, I, I, you know, we'll talk about Furkan here. Like, he feeling more and more like the odd man out. Like, he just hasn't really gotten on track this season. We saw Shake Milton pretty much take over his minutes after the first quarter in this game. That could be a sign of things to come. Doc has been pretty steadfast in rolling with Furkan this season, so maybe not. But um, Isaiah Joe is should still it be, a guy. Should, should, Yeah, I was going to ask, should, should Joe or Milton be the guy that deserves it more? Um, over Pork Mamas. 
I think Shake's been playing pretty well this season. He obviously has his flaws, but like again, Isaiah Joe just hasn't stepped up to the plate when he's got the cracks at the bat, you know. So I, I get like on paper he fits really well, and you want to give him more reps. He hasn't gotten much time to build the rhythm, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I understand that, but Isaiah Joe hasn't been that great this season. So I would understand it being Shake Milton. Um, Shake again pretty flawed player doesn't you know fit perfectly next to James Harden he's not having the like same renaissance that Tyrese Maxey is as an off-ball guard but I I'd be fine with it being Shake yeah I, I think Shake's probably the more op, uh, more obvious option you know ever since Doc Rivers got there he's had an affinity for Shake um it's just clear that Doc Rivers does not trust young players and I don't know what these young players have to do outside of Tyrese Maxey where it didn't seem like Doc had much of a choice. Um, I mean, I don't know. In the season, I, we were like, "Is is Maxi even going to start over Shake?" Like that was a question. I, I okay, you had that question. I didn't have that question. I already knew the answer. It was. But I remember you having. Should he start Shake? But there, there were like moments where it looked like he might make that move until Maxi right. took off. No, I think Shake came into the season injured. I think that was what happened. Um, but yeah, no, I, 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 that's a fair point to make. Yeah. Doc Rivers does not like playing young players. The only young players that I can remember him liking to play since I've watched him as the head coach of the Boston Celtics was Glenn Davis, Avery Bradley, Shea Gilgis Alexander, and Tyrese Maxey. Maxey was kind of more out of necessity. Like, Doc Rivers does not like young players at all. Yeah. Actually, I don't even think Avery Bradley played that much as his rookie year. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think Shake Milton's probably going to be the guy just because I don't know. Chris, what do these young players have to do to get Doc's trust? I, I'd say they have to play better, but we've seen Paul Reed give play meaningful, effective minutes. We've seen it from Isaiah Joe, even despite his struggles this year. Like, we seen it from Paul Charles uh, Bassey, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just Doc not getting out of his own way. All the great coaches, you know, Miami, Phoenix, a lot of contenders are getting really quality minutes from young players. Jonathan Kaminga is playing a real, real role for Golden State this season when no one really saw that coming. Granted, he's a lottery pick, but that's like yeah, not but he the was most polished so player. Yeah. A lot of good teams get quality minutes out of young players. They can... The idea that young players can't play winning basketball is generally misguided. And so I, I don't like the fact that Doc relies so heavily on veterans. I think the Paul Millsap thing is a great example of it, where he just should not be playing over Paul Reed or Charles Bassey. It just shouldn't happen. There's no way to defend it. It's 10, 12 minutes a night. You don't really have to worry about foul trouble. We've seen Paul Reed play really like high-level NBA defense when he's on, out on the court, like he's a really talented defensive player. We've seen Charles Bassey, like footwork wise, working out the pick and roll in ways that would be really beneficial next to James Harden. But we just aren't seeing them because Doc's playing Paul Millsap, who looks like, uh, yeah, I don't know. He's 37 years old. He's cooked. He looks so. like he looks like Mike Scott if Mike Scott was more of an interior player. Yeah, he's like. It's pretty bad. He's Mike Scott if Mike Scott didn't take threes. So um, it, 
I don't know why Doc does this, other than the fact that it's just Doc Rivers and he wants to play older players. It's clear he likes vets. Um, but speaking, but speaking of the vets, should Corkmaz actually be benched, Chris, or should the, should Doc just ride it out with them? Um, I, I mean, you know, I at the end of the day, I I get the argument for both sides. He just hasn't played well for long stretches this season. Um, you know, if you want to give Shake those minutes, I get it. If you want to give Isaiah Joe a more extended run, I get it. Um. But, I mean, on paper, Furkan is still just one of the most confident shooters you have on your team. You, I, I get, like, just saying you have to trust that it will come around at some point because you want to put as much shooting around Joel and around James as possible. We've seen Furkan do some pretty interesting stuff with the ball in his hands this season. So I, I get, I think there's enough there to justify sticking with him. It's not ideal, but the Sixers just don't have a ton of depth right now, especially on the perimeter. So I get sticking with him. Um, like, like I just don't think Isaiah Joe is going to be the revelation that people kind of make him out to be because he just hasn't been that good when he's gotten on the court this season. Um, and Shake, again, has been playing better this season, but he, like on paper, the fit is better with Furkan in those minutes. So I, I kind of get sticking with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so real quick, Chris, uh, I know we talked about Millsap earlier, but um, I just got the a Twitter notification from Derek Bodner of The Athletic saying that in response to if uh, Paul Re- Millsap was having a rough start, start, Rivers said, I don't know if it's a if it's been a rough go. I'm not concerned about it right now. Rivers and then Bodner notes that Rivers notes that Millsap is still learning his role in the system. So it doesn't sound like he's giving up on Millsap anytime soon, Chris, which I just... Why would you say prior to the game that you were planning on playing Willie Colley-Stein and then, you know, I don't I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. Why I even mean, sign Willie Colley-Stein to a 10-day if you're not going to play him? I mean, I agree with that. I mean, like the only... I mean, I guess he could say he's like trying to wrong foot the Knicks and catch him off guard. But again, Paul, like I, that's I, not I, like that's not going to make a difference. Yeah, I don't think it's a role thing. I don't think him learning the system is going to make it much better. I, I think DeAndre Jordan's going to get those minutes whenever he like officially signs. So again, we're probably going to have to suffer through that experience as opposed to the Paul Millsap experience here pretty soon. But, um. Yeah, I mean, DeAndre Jordan and Paul Millsap being ahead of Paul Reed and Charles Bassey in the rotation would be kind of depressing because those are two guys who are sort of similar to those vets in certain ways who are just going to be buried because they're younger. Um, Like, Bassey does a lot of the things DeAndre Jordan does. Obviously, he's not an all-NBA center, but Jordan isn't at this point. He has a similar skill set. He catches lobs. He defends. Paul Reed, like Millsap, is a pretty versatile, high-effort, smaller, big. But, like, why aren't those guys getting minutes? I, I don't I don't think it's justifiable. We know Paul Reed, for a fact, can play good NBA minutes. We've seen enough of Bassey to think that maybe he can. Like, give one of those guys the chance. And if they don't pan out, fine, go back to Paul Millsap. But Paul Millsap isn't really panning out either right now. So there's not much to lose. I I totally agree. I just 
I wonder if this is a discussion that Daryl Morey and Doc Rivers have on a regular basis. I would imagine so. But but again, they're about to sign DeAndre Jordan. So what are we doing here? <laughs> you know, I, I, I just feel like if Morey was staying true to his analytical roots, he wouldn't even entertain the idea of you know signing Jordan. I agree. I think Jordan, like, even in that interview on the Ricky, he he said like Doc wants a veteran center. Like it's clear that they're doing this for Doc. That's like just like not even a well kept secret. It's pretty easy to read into it like that. So this is clearly like Doc shooting himself in the foot. Uh, like DeAndre Jordan minutes in the playoffs are going to be pretty brutal, unless he has like this magic, like renaissance next to James Harden and Doc Rivers, and he's really been sandbagging it in Brooklyn in LA for two years. I, I mean, it's going to be pretty bad. He's he's not a good NBA player at this point in his career, but it seems like that's the direction we're going. I have a hot take here, Chris, and I think you'll like it. If this move does not, if Doc Rivers' rotations don't get better and the Sixers are bounced before they get to it, at least the Eastern Conference Finals, Doc Rivers will be gone. Yeah, I, I think that's certainly a possibility. Like, if they get bounced in seven games to the Bucks in the second round and it goes down to the wire, maybe they aren't firing Doc. But if they lose in the second round, you know, to Chicago, and it's because Doc just gets coached in circles by Billy Donovan, then I tend to agree that there's a good chance he gets fired. I don't think there's any, like, fire to the smoke yet. But, like, clearly Doc Rivers and Mike D'Antoni have a relationship. And so does James Harden. And Mike D'Antoni is the guy that Joel Embiid wanted, we knew, before Doc Rivers became an option. That We've heard that. So, I, I think... I just don't great... know if Doc... I just don't know if Mike D'Antoni is a much bigger upgrade over Doc Rivers. Me, personally. Well, I mean, you, you know what I think, but... I know, I know. I'm just saying, for me, personally, I don't see... You lose a lot of defense. I, I don't. Mike D'Antoni's not a good defensive coach, and he hasn't even he hasn't even gotten to an NBA Finals. That's, okay, and and he's right. failed a couple Again. places too. He's failed, Chris. He's not like he's like Doc Rivers, where he just Doc doesn't Rivers get. Doc Rivers failed with the Clippers. I think that's fair to say. That okay, but did he have a losing season? Did he have a losing season with the Clippers? No. Mike D'Antoni failed in New York. He failed with the Lakers. And he had Kobe Bryant with the Lakers. He had Carmelo Anthony with the Knicks. Yeah. Like, I like, mean, that like, wasn't prime Kobe, though. You know what I mean? Okay, but that was prime Carmelo. That yeah, was prime Carmelo. The Knicks, so, the Knicks were never built to, like, contend for a championship around Carmelo. Uh, uh, fair enough. Well, he he did come when uh, Amari Stoudemire and Carmelo and Tyson Chandler were all there. Uh, I mean, but we we'll talk about coach hypotheticals if Doc screws up in the playoffs, okay? Yeah, but I think I think we as a fan base are getting to the point where if Doc, I don't like unless James Harden like lays an egg or anybody else really lays lays an egg, I, we know Joel's not going to lay. We don't think Tyrese Maxey's going to lay an egg. We we do, we don't know for sure with him. But even if he does, I think we'll give him a little bit of grace there as a fan base. James Harden, 
he doesn't play great in the playoffs, but he doesn't play bad in the playoffs most of the time. So this is on Doc, in my opinion. I think this is on Doc. So if Doc screws yeah. up, we'll replace him. I, I think you have to. You could either go with Sam Cassell or you can go with Mike D'Antoni or somebody else in the coaching ranks. There's pro- there's plenty of quality candidates. David Vanterpool comes to mind. Um, I'm sure you could think of a few others, but um, my point is, is that these rotations might cost the Sixers a playoff series, and if they do, Doc Rivers needs to be on notice. Yeah, I, I mean, I will say, like, the rotations have been pretty solid the past three games. Um, Outside of Paul Millsap and Fort yeah. Court Moss. But at, at a certain point, it is like there are roster-building flaws with this team. That second there, unit, there is. how you slice it, is going to be at somewhat of an athleticism deficit. The Sixers don't have a, as much rebounding as they'd like even now. Um, so I, I get the concerns. I, I agree. Like, Doc should be on the hot seat if the Sixers underperform. They're built to contend at the highest possible level, you know, for continuity reasons, roster construction reasons. If they lose to the Nets or the Bucks, I get not panicking and running it back. I don't think Doc is like, you know, I don't think the Sixers. Well, but what is if they high. lose to, like, the Celtics or the Heat? Yeah, but if they lose to Boston or they lose. To Miami, or they lose to Chicago, and it's because of Doc explicitly. Like he, we can like trace it to Doc Rivers as the reason they lose those series. Then I, I think there's a real chance they at least consider it. It'll partly depend on like who's available. If any other big name coaches become available, then that changes. I mean, I, who who knows? Maybe Mike D'Antoni's done coaching. He's consulting right now. Maybe he doesn't want to come out. Who knows? Yeah, but uh, yeah. You're you're on point there. I mean, oh, gosh, I'm more anxious now than I am excited because I'm I'm worried that Doc is going to screw this up. Um, but let's go ahead and just end the podcast on that note, Chris, because I don't want to think about it anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, Sixers are three and zero with James Harden on the team. But you're absolutely right. Um, there's not you're right. You know, we're still in the honeymoon phase. More positives than negatives. Um, That's absolutely right. We're in the honeymoon phase right now, folks. Enjoy it. Don't be like me and be a cynic. (laughs) Um, To all our listeners, as always, thank you for tuning in to yet another week's episode of the Sixer Sense podcast. Please like, subscribe, and follow along if you can. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Audible, or you can listen at our website, thesixersense.com. We are on Twitter at SixerSense. So until next week, everyone, have a good one and go Sixers. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. 
Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.